something a little bit simpler. Because I don't, I don't do a lot of like, hardcore recording. I don't need it. Do you record yourself at all and, and then take it to school? Is that useful for anything you're doing, at, you're doing at school? It's only because if the kids need something recorded on a part for jazz band, that's when I record stuff. Gotcha. But in terms of people calling me to do like uh, um, overdubs for tracks and things like that, that I, I hardly do that anymore. So I don't really need that type of um, power. You find that audacity works for everything you need to do. Yeah. Do you have an interface like this? Yeah, mine's older though. I think mine's an M audio. Is that the one I saw when we were living together? Is that the one I saw over by the, the, the music stand? Mm, no, it would have been in my bedroom. Oh, gotcha. It looks really close to that. It's basically the same thing. Two channels in, monitor out, main out. That's pretty straightforward. When I was trying to figure out the direct monitoring thing, some guides online had said that there was a button on these, not necessarily this model, but there's a button on some audio interfaces that literally says direct monitoring that you just push. I'm like, well, why don't I have that? We can look. Look who's here. <laughs> Play with my balls. I'm, I'm sorry, I gotta specify. That's Jonesy, not John. I've looked all, all around the thing and I can't find it. So it makes me think that it doesn't exist. If you can live with delay, then so can I. Yeah, it might be because we're running through USB too. Yeah. That will provide some element of delay. That one doesn't have any options. That's literally what it gives you. Yeah. Anyway, that's a soft open to our episode. Okay. Welcome to episode 29 of your ex-boyfriend's podcast. In the studio this week, we have my long, long, long-time friend, John. John is a public school teacher, he's a band director, jazz musician, amateur philosopher, martial artist, power lifter, and Jonesy's best friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a pretty nice resume, the way you make it sound. Dude. Who else is going to give you such a freaking resume? Yeah. We got a lot of history to unpack. This episode's going to be three days long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get ready. Oh, I forgot. He's also a founding member of J-Unit. In the studio, we've got John, Justice, and Jonesy. I forgot about that. What about Wolfpack? <laughs> well, you know, one of them lives in Lake Stevens now. That's right. And one of them lives in Colorado. And one of them lives in San Diego. I guess those people were too good for Puget Sound. We're Wolfpack in spirit. <laughs> All right. Now we actually have a wolf, the world's smallest wolf. <laughs> Although he has a big heart. He does have lots of big parts. That's right. Paws and head. Head, tail. Do you know we're talking about you, Jonesy? Jonesy. Yeah, that's right. He's gonna woo woo here some point. N nope, here we don't. Comes. We don't come over here. There you go. John, thanks for being on, man. I'm glad mm -hmm. we could get you in this summer while you're off from school. When do you go back to uh, teaching this Last summer? Last week of August. So you're coming up. Yes. One of the big questions I've had, I think a lot of people have had. Oh, by the way, you've gotten so much like hype 
on this podcast just from other people wanting to hear you. Like this interview was a long time coming. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. People want to hear me talk? You have the floor. Say whatever you want. I don't know. I don't know why people would want to hear me talk. It's probably just because of the way I talk about you. Yeah. Well, you introduced me as a martial arts powerlifter philosopher. Amateur, though. Amateur. It's fine. That really just means he does it in his home. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But also, I don't know. You see somebody with those types of things. Maybe somebody be like, man, what's going on with this person? I think so. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast are people that know me decently well. So yeah. by proxy, they know who you are. Yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Okay, question one. Yeah, question one. What I want to know is, you know, you were teaching for plenty of years before we hit the pandemic. Yes. You know how it's been. Then you hit COVID. And, you know, at the time we were living together, for those of us, for for those people who are listening that don't know, John and I lived together for like five years. Um, my main question, or I guess my first question is, what impact did you see, negative or positive? Like, how did that affect teaching now? What are the lasting impacts from COVID in the educational system? Uh, a lot of it's practical in terms of our registrations are down. Like literally kids coming to school? Yeah, there's less kids coming to school. Not just in our band program. I mean, our band program numbers are down, but the actual school's registrations are down. And you always wonder, where are these kids going? That was my first question. Are they homeschooling? Are they doing like private school, Montessori school? Like whatever they're doing, they're not in public school. So that's definitely been an impact from COVID. Um. It's kind of like the remote uh, work from home thing. Mm-hmm. All these companies are having a hard time finding workers. And you wonder, like, where did all these people go? Yeah. Right? Before, they would have had to come in and get a job and earn a living. Somehow, post-COVID, there's this whole population of people who have figured out a way to do that without coming into a salary or hourly position or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. right people are always trying to hire people are always trying to raise their salaries or increase benefits and all of those in the working force are of course celebrating this because it's been a long time coming in terms of low wages and low and low investment in the working population sure for whatever reason post-covid that working population has I don't know if you call it waking up, but they've figured out that somehow they don't need to be subjected to the things that they used to be subjected to in the workforce. So therefore you have these problems of people can't find enough workers anymore. Are you seeing that in your school specifically? Well, if you're talking about the actual working force, yeah, there's a teacher shortage. Is that district-wide or statewide? That's everywhere. Is it? I think everywhere is experiencing that. And it's it's big enough to where you even see it in like New York Times and all these other news outlets are reporting. We just cannot find uh, enough teachers to, to fill these positions. And that translates somehow to the kids. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if the two things are connected necessarily, but you'll def- you, we're definitely seeing there's less kids going to school 
the numbers are just lower. Where we had a high school with 1,800 kids, now there's 1,400. So no kidding. Where did those 400 kids end up going? So the thought being that they're either going to private schools or charter schools or, or homeschool. Homeschool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God, that is super strange. So that's the probably the biggest practical impact mm-hmm. in terms of just like the logistics of what COVID did. Uh, obviously, there's what what you see with the two years of online learning is it's just not the same as being on site and learning with <laughs> other kids and learning no. with the teacher there. With you, the social aspect completely removed. It's the social aspect that's removed, but it's also like the the team collaboration, the ability to ask actual questions. And the thing that came out of that, I think, with a lot of kids is that kids and teachers started to realize that, oh, actually, the teacher probably should be there in the room with the kid to, yeah. to help him figure stuff out mm-hmm. um, because before this point, prior to COVID, there was kind of an idea with like online distance learning and, and, and Green River classes and there was this sort of idea that, oh, well, kids can just go to like online school and get their degree independent study. Like the running start thing? Yeah, alternative K-12 online education. Sure. And you you almost see this kind of divide because while that type of education model has flourished because of the marketability of online school because during COVID, yep. you're also seeing that oh, crap, it kind of doesn't really work very well. I would think that you would see the kids that already were capable of flourishing in that environment doing it anyway. Yeah. And then the kids that weren't going to flourish no matter what, now they're kind of stuck. Yeah, and the big problem with that, of course, is is the achievement gap. The, yeah. It's that magic word we've been talking about since, who knows, the 60s and 70s, especially in the 90s and early 2000s with those, the no child left behind thing and all this other stuff yeah. that's been happening at the national level. Now you do have that where the kids who were able to live in that system, mm-hmm. they were fine. Yeah. The kids who needed live instruction, the kids who needed to be in school and were having a hard time, even when they were in school, once COVID hit, it was just game over for them. Yeah. So now the, the achievement gap is larger than it ever has been, at least is what I'm observing. What do you see being done to counteract that? Because I imagine that's not a secret. Right now, it's really just, uh, it's time. Hmm. You just need to keep, I think you need to keep the kids just in school and just keep them learning. Because the idea that you can somehow fix it in a shorter amount of time than the problem itself was created (laughs) is from from a logical standpoint doesn't make a whole lot of sense but from True. from a humanistic standpoint makes even less sense because people are going to be people kids are only going to learn so fast no matter what you do i mean you can always kind of help them along sure but kids will always learn and develop at 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 a at their own pace so what that means is that it is inherently a fallacy i think to think that you can fix two years worth of damage in <laughs> six months or in one year, or this idea that, well, if we do these types of recovery lessons and we do all this other kind of like damage right. recovery <laughs> mitigation, our kids will be back on track 
in two years. It'll, I think it'll take longer than that, no matter how hard or how sophisticated we think our methods are going to be. Kids are going to be kids because they're regular people. I would imagine. Yeah. I remember this conversation happening right at the beginning when in-person school was canceled statewide. And the conversation, I think I was watching the news, probably with you <laughs> in the old yeah. house, came up of, uh, you know, this could stretch on at this point, you know, when we were in the beginning indefinitely. We don't know when this is going to change no, back I don't to think normal. So. And it was the conversation of how do we keep these kids from doing exactly what you said, falling way behind, and we totally dropped the ball on that. Yeah. Like, it would have to be something where you accept the reality that you're recovering learning incrementally. Yeah. So next year, they're going to be a little bit better. Next year after that, they're going to be a little bit better. But in terms of the long-term implications of learning loss, it is on a scale that what you would see in like any of our major wars. I when was a, just thinking When that. a bunch of people got drafted, when yep. a bunch of families had to evacuate and go to a whole different country. Yep. Obviously, the, the, the struggles are not the same in terms of, it's not like we had kids being bombed out of their houses. Right, having to survive. Right. Yeah. But while you didn't have that element, the same element exists where basically their learning was disrupted to a point that it was a null right. for a period of 6, 12, 18 months. You just have this complete atrophy yeah. of the learning muscle. And me being a teacher, I, I could say, even for my content area, and I would admit, to, I would admit it mm -hmm. that... It's just not the same. Like we couldn't get these kids performing or we couldn't get them learning at the same level. Can we talk about what you do specifically or is that something you want to leave off? No, we can. So John is a band director. Just for anybody who doesn't know, I think I've talked about it before. We are not going to say where certain certain level of anonymity is good. But John is the band director um, and arts department head at his school. So that's anything you hear him talking about performing that's in context of an artiste. Um, in the same vein, when you guys came back to school in person, do you find that anything has like, obviously the kids, as we discussed, had this giant gap in their learning. You have to refamiliarize yourself, your kids with being back in that environment. But do you have now having done a whole year in person, right? Yeah. You did 2021, 20, 22, right? Yep. Um, do you find that there's any lasting impact to the kids? Um, well, not the kids necessarily, but to the system as a whole. Like, are you doing anything different now um, on a day-to-day -day basis other than that recovery from, you know, two years of Zoom BS? Did, ha has it changed how you that, teach? That happened a little bit. Um and it probably wasn't a little bit. It actually probably was pretty dramatic. The kids lost two years of, uh, I guess you would maybe call it social development, mm -hmm. social emotional development. It would be a oversimplification to say that this, the ninth graders were acting like seventh graders. <laughs> yeah. But basically, in a lot of ways, that's what we were seeing. Mm -hmm. You had ninth graders who, first of all, didn't know their building. 
They didn't know how to get from one class to another because like things it's the things you don't even think about until covid and things like that take them away like when you're in middle school you might be in one hallway sure for classes and yep. maybe your pe classes over someplace else in high school your science classes in one wing mm-hmm. your english classes in a different wing there's no i there's no concept of of uh, like a centralized like at least in our building like a like a centralized cluster of classes it was the same where you and i went to high right. school yeah. so the kids just as one example they don't even know how to go from class to class <laughs> because they've never had to do it yeah and then and and they're ninth graders or you said like those are 10th and 11th graders these are ninth graders like okay. the incoming ninth graders gotcha but in that same vein you see other things like they like going to to and from class from time turning in assignments on time in Mm -hmm. terms of and maybe in middle school it's like okay you can be a week late and it's fine in high school we didn't used to have those same types of safety nets because it was an expectation that by this point in your education that you should be able to handle a, a stricter deadline right these responsibilities these uh, it's almost like now the students are still operating in what are what appear to be middle school like work habits because Wait. when they left school they were seventh graders right they're coming in as a ninth grader and their whole worldview is i can turn in an assignment in two weeks late and it's okay for 80 percent credit and what's crazy is maybe your district operates like this, but where where you and I went to school, middle school was three grades. You had six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. And if these kids spent sixth grade in middle school and then missed out on seventh and eighth grade, yep. they're essentially still elementary school students going into high school, Yeah, which is insane. Yep. So kids going to and from lunch, kids cleaning up after themselves at lunch tables. God kids picking things up off the floor. It's all the things that you see that you have to teach, reinforce, right. encourage, hold accountable of sixth graders. That's wild. You are starting to, you saw those things happening in ninth grade because they missed seventh and eighth. I. This is the first time I've ever thought about that might be a problem. Yeah. That's crazy. Think about everything that sixth graders yep. might be bad at in terms of just living their lives cleaning up after themselves, saying please and thank you, right. opening doors and shutting them properly, yeah. not getting running. to class on time, not running in the hallways, <laughs> not touching other kids when they're not, when they're not supposed to be touching other kids, uh, not taking kids' things as a prank, even though it's right. like, hey, man, like that kid doesn't want you to do that. Yeah, how many of, of your and my crazy stories come out of middle school? Like a bunch of the insane yeah. stuff was like... So, me smashing Kenny's head into the lunch table. If you think about all of those things that we got into in middle school, yeah, they're happening in high school. That is what, yeah, with the bigger, with bigger, children. heavier, stronger children is yeah. what it's coming down to. Yeah, so they're, I mean, they're breaking bigger things now. That's crazy. We had a kid in our hallway one time. We went outside and like, they had like broken a table because they were. <laughs> I don't. I think they were like trying to jump over the top of it. Mm-hmm. Which again, these were freshmen. Yep. 
but that sounds like something like a sixth or seventh grader would do. You remember when Casey did that? Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what they were doing. And they managed to break this table because they're far too big to be doing that or Broke whatever. Broke the welds off of a table leg. <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that. So you now have to, as a high school teacher, figure out, okay, how am I supposed to teach a high school class and teach high school level skills to a kid who is missing two years worth of social emotional development or whatever you would call that psychological development. Yep. Yeah. And I can imagine then you still have parents who aren't willing to accommodate for that. They're like, my kid should be doing this. And you got a little bit of that. There's some parents who figured it out. I hope and, so. And kind of helped their kids along. But you definitely have instances, several instances where you saw a kid who you're like, yep, that kid got left in his bedroom for two years in online school. Oh my didn't God. interact with people, didn't interact with mom and dad. Yeah. Was like a hermit for two years mm-hmm. doing badly in online school. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming back to a live building. And every crazy, eccentric, underdeveloped yeah. uh, action or activity that you could possibly imagine a kid like that doing oh in a public high school yeah. is what is happening. You see that on a regular basis. Y- yeah. God. Yeah. And that is the thing that as high schools were trying to figure out like, man, how do we get a hold on this? Because now we're making rules that you would make in middle school. Like if you get excused to the bathroom, you have to be mm-hmm. back in three minutes. You Stuff did a, like that. You did a great job of, I don't know if you read it, but picking up on my very next question which is permanent policy changes that you see as a result of all this so come back from the bathroom in three minutes or we send the sheriff looking for you you know it'd be one of those things where for now it has to be enforced later eventually the i'm i would really hope that the goal would be that eventually it's just like one of those rules that it's there in the rule book but we don't need to enforce it because kids just kind of generally do it you go back to the common sense version of that right uh, and I think that's the big key to it is that right now the, the, the sense of common sense is so far gone Jesus. that we have to write it down or else they won't do it. Yeah. Because if we don't write it down, of course, like, well, nobody ever told me I couldn't do that. And, and right. the crazy part is they're right. Yep. Because as far as their worldview is concerned, nobody ever told them that you can't just go to the bathroom in high school and then walk around the building for 30 minutes. Right. You have you're supposed to kind of go back to your own class, right? They literally have never been shown that. So in their brain, they don't really understand why that's wrong. And you couple that with being able to do whatever the fuck you want for two years. Yeah, yeah. They go home. They can eat their meals whenever they want. Yep. They can log in and out of classes whenever they want. And do all do their those... work or not do their work. Right. <laughs> and all of those elements now are coming against a structure that they've never experienced. Yeah. And so basically as an authoritarian figure, you now are playing this game as an antagonist where you're, you're Mm -hmm. being the bad guy because you're trying to do all this stuff and you're trying to hold down all these rules and what they never got out of COVID is like, yeah, this is what it takes to have like a society function Properly. like at a base level yeah people have to be willing to like do things a certain way or else it's just complete chaos mm-hmm. and to a certain degree their young brains 
don't don't compute that necessarily where it's all about like well what do i want to do right now right in this moment immediate gratification irregardless of what how other people might see it or are affected by it middle school used to help fix that yeah and they're missing two years of that that is crazy yeah does your district operate on a middle school i just spilled a bunch of beer on myself it's a good thing we're not filming this. Are, are, are you drunk? That was foamy. He's not, everybody. Oh, this is good. We just started. I didn't even bring an extra shirt. Okay, hold on one second. You know who you remind me of right now? Uh, you look like Burt Kreischer. Who's that? You know the machine? Machine? Have you ever seen Tom Segura's podcast? Ah, uh, yeah, like little bits of it. It's it's that, that big bear looking dude that he always oh, does it yeah. with, Burt Kreischer. Yeah. He always does his comedy with his shirt off. There you go. Just let all the new viewers know I did a I did a bad and got beer out all of my shirts, so we're drying out. Yeah, you know, we dry it out. I'm shirtless. <laughs> Put that in your brain box and simmer on it. Yep, nipples out, mm-hmm. looking me straight in the eyes. Oh yeah. Uh all right, question number four. Yep, what what were we talking about? Um so I guess, yeah, we had kind of already hit that, like permanent policy changes. You just see in kind of an adaptation to these kids who are now essentially two years younger than they should be. Yeah, and it would be adjust to the circumstances of the present moment. Mm-hmm. And I would say we'd what would really realistically happen is we'd leave them there. In school? We'd leave them there and be like, oh, there's a rule in the handbook that you... Oh, the rules. If you go to the bathroom, you got to be back in five minutes and stuff like that. And if a kid's, let's say, 10 years from now, they float around, they, you know, there's seven, eight minutes, it would be at a point where nobody is questioning. It's like, all right, fine, because you're a high school kid. Yep. It's just there. It'd be like how you and I operated. Right. We don't enforce it. Yeah. I guess every once in a while you'd probably have that kid is like, oh, you were gone for a half hour. So because of this one rule that we had that we set in 2022, right? we could give you a lunch attention or whatever it happens to be. But it would be a situation where we've reestablished those social norms where you don't just leave your class for 35 minutes and mm-hmm. walk around and do whatever you want, visit with your friends. You just go do your thing and come straight back. You know, what's funny is you're describing the environment in which you and I grew up in, you know, the, the teachers having a, a, enough trust for students to go do what they needed to do, right. re- regardless of what that was. And and I, I'm sure you remember like you and I, David, Alex, going and seeing each other at various times during the day, but not yeah. abusing it. It was and, like... And there was a mutual trust. There was a mutual investment in the system to say that, okay, we're going to let you do this thing because yeah. we know that we can trust you. In right. return, you have to come back according to the terms we prearranged. Right. So say, we're going to go visit Alex. We'll be back like 10 minutes. Teacher's like, okay, your work's done. See ya. Yeah. No hall pass, no sign in, no sign out. Right. We would just go, go visit with Alex. His teacher would be like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Like, oh, we're just saying hi. Saying okay, cool. Yeah. It was never a situation where now if you did that, you the teacher would have to call the teacher that they were going to and say, "Hey, this student's coming down. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes, it's okay. Okay, they're leaving right now. They should be to you in one minute." And then they would send an God. email back that's like, "Okay, they're here." It's like freaking jail because if you didn't do things like that, yeah, that kid would leave the class and then just be outside, wherever. Yeah, that's the second time you've taken the words right out of my mouth. That sounds exactly like prison. Yeah, 
That's crazy. And then it's then it's that whole dilemma of like, well, we should we be treating kids like that? And like, that's not good for their well-being. And if you treat them like a prisoner, they're going to act like a prisoner. But then you ask the question, who came first, the prisoner or the warden? Yeah. Did the prisoner show up as a prisoner and dictate the actions of the warden? Right. Or did the warden come into a bunch of normal human beings and turn them into prisoners? Okay, well, now you have a really deep, difficult <laughs> question to ask yourself in terms of public school education. Right, the one that you don't even want to have to be asking. Right. Who came first, yeah. the warden or the prisoner? So I would imagine what you have now is like you're trying to get back to some amount of like normality. Yeah. But all the time with the very real scenario of these kids who spent two years acting like prisoners on the run. You are trying to treat them as respectable, mature, normal, adjusted adult human beings. Yeah knowing that they have the potential to just leave your class and go smoke in the bathroom because they think it's fun to do in school. Yeah, we're vaping now though, right? Hit yeah. that vape pen. Yeah. Just so Yeah, it's annoying. Kiwi flavored cancer. I get yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you can tell these kids it's bad for you. They're not gonna listen to you. No, that's true. And at some so. point I'm not condoning it, but you as a kid you do have to make your own mistakes. Yeah. And but I it's would just say, a horrible environment to be to be would, in right now. I would say as a teacher, that is part of what helps us survive in a certain respect. Mm-hmm. And I want to put this out to the world because people do need, it. People need to hear it. Let's go. Sometimes you do what you can. What, what do you say, Pat, Captain Picard? You can do everything right and still lose the battle. I love you for using that quote. <laughs> Star Trek. That's yep. really true in, in industries like public education. You can do everything and go to the moon and back for this kid and still have them fail. How much of, are you willing... How big of a part of yourself are you willing to lose in terms of right. trying to do something for this kid? And what I mean by that is if helping this kid destroys 50% of your well-being. Right. You might have helped them. And it's very important. I, I say helped them. You didn't save them. Yeah, quotes. You didn't yeah. turn their life around. You helped them get a D for that class so they didn't fail. Right. They took out two-tenths two, two of your total well-being as a teacher. Right. Now you got five kids that you can help they're all going to get D minuses in your class. And you, you, for, for better or for worse, you helped them not fail. Yeah. But now you're burned out. Now you're at the point where you want to quit the industry. So how much good is that really doing? A scenario in which somebody who actually, a, a teacher who actually gives a shit yeah. is then burnt out by the system that the they people who care want to be a part of. Too much and let too let the system and let the world take too much out of them become destroyed as a result of that process. And the, the thing that you have to realize as a teacher is that you can only go to a certain point and no further mm -hmm. for a kid in order to preserve yourself to help the needs of the future kids. Yeah. 
because if you're going to help that one or two kids now and burn yourself out and quit the industry, who knows who's coming down the line? Right. Somebody that may not care nearly as much. Right. Yeah. And if, if somebody's not going to be in this job that cares enough to at least try a little bit. Yeah then who's going to be out here for these kids? And in an environment where you have higher and higher turnover and a shrinking workforce yeah. and a district that will hire just to get bodies in spots, right? that becomes even more and more likely. Right. So the lesson and the, and, the, and the PSA I want to put out to the world, to everybody listening to this podcast... All 30 of you, listen the fuck up. ...is... What I don't want is to is to have it look like teachers don't care that we're giving up on kids. We need to be able to preserve the good people in our industry so that we can help as many as people as possible. And sometimes what that might mean, you might have to cut a kid off and say like, man, I tried everything I could. You're going to fail this class, bro. You're going to have to do something. Sorry. And John, you don't have to agree with this, with what I'm about to say, but it's it's my opinion on it. Sometimes your kid is not worth sacrificing the nine other kids. If, you're, if your kid is the 10th kid and you take up 50% of the teacher's resources, oh yeah, you leave 50% of the other resources for nine kids. That's the dilemma that we, you always face as an educator is, if I save this one kid, is it worth taking a little bit out of the other 20 kids in this class. Right. And I don't know if there's a good or bad or right or wrong answer to that, but you have to ask yourself that question. And yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, if it's like this kid is destroying the learning for 30 other people, well, you got to make that tough decision. Yeah. And then I'm sure for everybody listening, I'm sure we've all seen the kid that probably was treated like that, the, the one that had an excess amount of time put into them and still turned out shitty and then, you know, got out into the adult world, mm-hmm. into the workforce. They're your coworkers and your friends and your family. Yeah. Those kids exist out there and you see them. And the, the important thing to realize about that, I think, is that people are always going to be, they always exist in a village. Yeah. And sometimes in public school, I think we get caught up in the rat race of like, well, if I don't figure this kid out and turn them around, then they're going to just fail at life or whatever, which Mm -hmm. may be true. We have to be okay with that reality. Sure. But at the same time, if I do some kid to this life and I say, you you still did got a D minus in my class, but I got you to turn in like two assignments out of the 10 that you were supposed to turn in or whatever it comes out to. Sure. You're going to leave my class and go to somebody else's class and maybe do the same thing. And then maybe after that, you'll go to somebody else's class. Maybe you'll do three assignments mm-hmm. and then you get to the workforce. Well, shit, you might get fired one time, mm-hmm. but then maybe that shows you that somebody else is like, Hey man, you actually got to show up to work on time. And maybe that guy tells that kid, oh, I should probably start doing that. And the more of those people in their lives have a positive influence on their actions and their demeanors and their habits and their discipline, Yeah. eventually, hopefully, they'll start to turn around. I've always thought that we deal with kids in the most difficult part of the lives. 13 to 17 is brutal. 
for yeah. for every kid. I remember. And we do as much good as we can. Some kids don't figure it out in that time. You might have a kid who graduates high school and is like, yeah, that kid's going to go, I don't know, to Harvard and then go do AI work for, for, for Google. Google. Fine. Yeah, but there's another kid who's going to get all Ds and two Fs coming out of high school. Then they're going to bum around for two or three years working whatever menial job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then maybe when they're like in their mid twenties, they start to figure out, Oh, you know what I actually want to do? I'm going to start like figuring out a plan. And maybe those kids don't establish themselves until like 30 or 40. That's just the way that some people end up. That's the path that their life takes. Right. And I guess for myself, if you know that the best that we can do, and I think the right thing to do is try not to force life-changing change when they're 17 (laughs) do what you can do the good that you can to this kid's life when they're in high school with the idea that's like and you might even want to tell them like hey man it might be pretty rough for you in the next couple of years if you don't like figure out how to be places on time and and you'll see it if these kids friend you on facebook you'll see yep right oh i got fired from this job or whatever (laughs) stuff happens to these kids there's no forgiveness right after high school. And for some kids, that is their lesson. They they will not learn from getting an F in a class. They will sure. learn from getting fired from a job when they're 22, 23 years old. Right. Fired from a warehouse because they literally couldn't show up at 7.30 yep. every day. And I think in a certain respect, we shouldn't necessarily think of that as wrong. That for that particular kid, that's how long it took them to learn that lesson. Right. And the end goal being that they learned that lesson. It just took them a little bit longer. What's important as a high school person or a middle school person or an educator is to say that, hey, man, that, that might take that long. And right. they still might be a shit in high school. Are you willing to be there and deal with that? Right. Are you willing to put in your your two cents or like, I'm going to do my two good things for this kid? Mm-hmm. And like what I said earlier, I'm not going to try to change this kid's life because that will destroy me. I'm not going to martyr myself. I'm not going to martyr myself for this kid, but I am going to do my two or three good things to help this kid along. Yeah. And after he's gone from high school, I'm just rolling those dice on the table. Like, he might be cool. He might not. I no longer have control over the situation. Right. All I know is that I did my best to do what I could do in the time that I had. Right. And I think that is what has helped me survive in public school industry. Mm-hmm. You can only do so much good. And then at a certain point, you're like, all right, hopefully he's okay. And it speaks to a, an even, I don't want to say larger, but a broader concept. It's something that I've talked about before. You don't control other people. There's there's only no. a certain amount you can do. And right. at the end of the day, you have to relinquish any idea that you have control over what they're going to do. That is, I think, what makes a lot of people burn out in public school and probably any other industry as well. But especially in public school, because a lot of teachers go into public school thinking that I'm going to change lives. Right. I'm going to I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be that guy. And hey, you might change lives. But a lot of the time, no, you're not going to change lives. Not really. Do you did you find yourself going into the industry with that mentality or was it a little more no practical? That's a whole other conversation that we can get into. Sure. (laughs) I. 
maybe I, another episode, but you you weren't like that coming no. in. No. When I was in the, when I first got into teaching, I just I cared about the music to a point that I didn't really care about people. Mm-hmm. And, I remember that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's just how I came into it, and I was working on my own stuff at that point. Yeah. I think mentally or psychologically or or educationally speaking, but when I first got into teaching, I didn't care who the person was behind the instrument. I just cared about the instrument and the music being produced. How it sounded. How it sounded. Yeah. Because that's what I thought produced results. Hmm. And I quickly realized that you definitely have to worry about the person behind the horn for sure. Yeah. And especially because of COVID, you have to especially worry about that person behind the horn. But what that translates to is when I first got into teaching, yeah, I didn't really really care sure about how people turned out like uh, let's say a kid ended up going to jail but played a good solo guess what you were happy yeah yeah and that's that's not good <laughs> well I, I i worked i worked on that and i think i evolved my thinking sure because uh i realized that music is produced by people and you you, you really can't separate those two things not and, really and how much of being able to create art because you know we're that's essentially what we're talking about just the act of creation how much of that has to come from the emotional you know side of the person right if they're struggling in life in general how good is their creation really going to be right uh art is a reflection of the human experience all that stuff um and for young people art is a way to come to terms with their identity a way to develop and express identity mm -hmm. so what i realized luckily pretty early on that the music isn't isn't that important in relation to the actual person behind the music right it certainly doesn't exist in a vacuum no no yeah. And when I was a young when I was a young kid, I guess music for me existed in a vacuum. Sure. Because you know, we can get into some real deep stuff. <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> but like practicing became my way of getting away from the world. I remember. Practicing was my way to say that like whatever's going on in the world, whatever I'm feeling, I it, it can disappear for the next hour. The coping because right now I'm working on the music and yeah. the, the music will always survive and the music will always be there. And maybe that's still true for me. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's almost like music becomes this like, I don't know what you'd call it. Like this real person, this person that I can talk to, mm. I can listen to, I, I can, I can confide in. But that's not how music is for the vast majority of other people. Sure. Especially not at that age. No. Music is this thing that is intrinsically tied to who they are and who they want to be and right. who they were before. Right. And I had to realize that, that the vast majority of my students, music was intrinsically tied to who they were as a person. Mm. And I don't know if in my particular case, it, for some reason, I don't know if it wasn't. But it was definitely separated because sure. I could be angry, happy, sad, frustrated, have a bad day, have a good day. The music was always there as like a grounding force for me. Yeah. 
in the sense that no matter how turbulent life got or or didn't get the music would always remain right. as a stable force as something like this kind of like this pure thing that i could that i could uh key into or like access and it was always there for me so it really had little to do with my emotional state because I knew that whatever my emotional state was, I could return to the music and Mm -hmm. in that I could find some sense of center. I remember thinking this when we were kids, actually, when we were um, playing together, performing, that was always something that I wondered about and we never even talked about um, until today. I always felt like, like you're describing the majority of other people how Mm -hmm. they experience music like it's a reflection of how i feel yeah at any given time and i remember noticing very early on like especially in high school not so much when we were in middle school but noticing in high school that that it didn't seem that way for you like it was more of a god i don't even know how to describe it it was like a skill yeah rather than a an expression yeah and i didn't under the fuck struggling over here i didn't understand that but you know that's that is very interesting anybody who feels like that i want to hear from you (laughs) um man we went way off what were we even talking about that's okay kids kids being kids kids it's the whole thing of the one of the fundamental philosophical things that I had to realize is that I view music different than most people view. Oh music. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if I don't take that into account when I teach, then it doesn't work. Right. Because when I play music, it'd be like, oh, your dog died. Yeah. I play music. The music is still there. Yeah. The dog died is sad, but the music is still there. Right. For most other people, the dog died. Now what does the music do? Right. It's connected. Yep. I don't know what that says about me or or wh- how that <laughs> happened in me. Sure. But for me, the music has always been this like, it's like this ocean. It's just there. And you can always return to it and 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 communicate with it and and do what you need to do in your life. But at the end of the day, it's like you can go back to this thing that's music. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some respects, I think kids sort of feel like that, where music is, is a, cons- a like a consoling thing or kind sure. of this zen type thing with them too. But the, the separation for me, mm-hmm. I think, is much more powerful than with most people. Yeah. Where it's like, I can leave most of myself behind and go into this music thing. Sure. And it kind of exists in a crazy way. It's like it exists out of time and space. Like, it's like s- separately from the self. It's just like its own reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's bizarre, but that's kind of how I see it. Like it exists as it's kind of like it's this like alternate reality that you can go into and you can come out of. That is and you can leave all your shit behind for a little bit mm-hmm. and go talk to this thing yeah. that is there for you whenever you need it to be there for you. You know, that that last bit, how you just described it, I want to say that I've heard 
maybe something similar from whether I read it in a, maybe I read it in a, a biography of a musician or some, somewhere I've heard something similar. Um, like the ability to uh, utilize creation of any medium, but in this case, music, right? Mm-hmm. As an escape. No, well, not an escape, just it's not tied to what is happening yeah. in in the world. It's not tied to happening to what's happening to you or to how you feel. Victor Wooten, The Music Lesson. Was it Victor Wooten? It might be. Okay, I did read that. The book gets... <laughs> pretty out there but some it of those, is some of those concepts are some some of the things that i think i that i resonate with yeah in terms of the music with a capital m yeah music as a something music as an a, entity music as a someone yeah did i give you that book yeah yeah i did <laughs> I, I have your exact copy it's the one that i have in my library yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you get that from tyler he is the one that gave it to me. Yeah, uh, it's just I need to pass it on to somebody. I think you do. Just pass it on to Jonesy. <laughs> Jonesy, you're gonna read about these characters and playing music on on a on a, on a bicycle spoke and stuff like that. <laughs> and some some wearing a spaceman suit. Yeah, and, some unwashed yeah, spaceman <laughs> and, and yellow rain boots or some whatever. <laughs> yeah. Name yourself Michael. Was that his name? Yeah. Is the protagonist in that book named, or is it told from first person? It's first person, and it's it's Victor. Yeah. And the the main mentor's name is Michael. Does he does Victor name himself in that book? I don't think so. I didn't think it's so. It's more either. like a like a stream of consciousness type thing. Right. Like yeah. if you want this to be you, it could be you. Jonesy, I love you. Jonesy, I love you. I love you. Jonesy, I love you. Look at him. Jonesy, do you know how long it's been since I've seen you? Oh, oh. oh look Watch at out. You. <laughs> Too long. That was. Alex's bachelor party Jones in April. Bro. Look at look at these it's just soft, beautiful eyes. God, I know. It's not fair how attractive he is. It's just exemplary. It's exemplary. He is the he's dog with capital D. He's gonna fuck it up. There he goes. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Every time there's a guest. It. We got it. Inevitably, he's like, let me just tangle myself in the headphone cord. We got it, Lois Bobo. We good. Have a seat. Yeah, a seat. dude. Sit sit your butt down there. Have a seat. There you go. There you go. Look, oh, look at how respectable he looks. That's that's the picture for the Instagram post this week. There you go. Um, the question I had for you, kind of last in the same vein of your experience in school, was: Do you see? What am I trying to say here? What would you like to see? Um change as what as far as what you've learned from the last two from the two years of having that remote learning bs like what did it show you that you would like to implement to make your career your not your career your industry better like how do we improve with these lessons that we've learned a lot of it would be i don't know the human human relations we quickly figured out that you can't just put all of your curriculum on Canvas or Blackboard or Angel or whatever learning management platforms people use nowadays. It is not a simple act of putting super clear-cut instructions mm-hmm. on a website and having a kid click a bunch of buttons and read a bunch of articles and then take some exam and write a paper and submit it online and get a grade. Mm-hmm. 
fine. That works for like one out of 1,000 kids, whatever. <laughs> oh, that's good. But for every other kid, they need to talk. They need to ask questions. They need to bounce ideas off their classmates. Yeah. They need to bounce ideas off the teacher. They need to argue with the teacher. They need to argue with their classmates. They need to be shown that they're wrong. They need to be they need to be qualified that their idea is maybe sort of correct, but there's also some there's certain things that need to be examined with their idea. They need to right. be reinforced. They need to be encouraged to think and do All that, that in nuance and gray area and that do is... that in settings <laughs> where they're able to do this in a real live dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we have to go all the way back to like Greek philosophy, man. <laughs> Aristotle and Plato. Right. The, 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 the things that those guys are doing, Aristotelian philosophy or whatever you got back then. I'm not saying we should be doing like um aristotelian sure. inquiry or anything like that but literally it's just the act of three people getting in a room and saying like all right what do we think about painting buildings pure white as a way to mitigate some of the potential problems of global warming mm-hmm. and have those three people talk maybe do some research talk some more mm-hmm do some more research, come up with a consensus, or come up with two opposing ideas that are equally well-supported. That cannot happen over online school. I have... This is amazing that you're talking about this unprompted. I have a book for you to read. I don't read books. He's a liar. (laughs) John reads more books than most people, except for, you know, Jerry, who reads all the books. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll have to talk about that, that story sometime. <laughs> Wait at Jerry on this podcast. He, he, so Alex's idea of having everybody get in on this podcast for an episode. I'm, I'm down with that. Me too. Yeah. I can't imagine how ridiculous that's going to be. We have to, <laughs> we'd have to get a bunch of plane tickets. Yeah. You know what we could do? Hmm. This is total sidetrack of what we're doing right now. That's fine. This is all all okay in the podcast. We're like, man, if we met in the central location, like Southern Oregon. Yeah. Okay. All the three of us flew down and Jerry flew up. Sure. We spent a weekend at a cabin. Yeah. We brought all your shit. Yep. In fact, I'd, I'd dump some money to it. I would, I could get like an eight channel the interface. eight channel. <laughs> yeah, dude. And uh, hey, I'm... I'm I'm pretty sure that those things can link, so I could buy like a six channel and link them together and get eight channels total. You can sequence those or days channel or whatever. Yep. Yeah, and we just get out of the cabin for a weekend and do this podcast with you, me, Alex, David, Jerry, everybody. I think they would all be down. Dude, yeah. We just got to get one weekend. Or NorCal, as long as it's not on fire. Yeah. Yeah, Have you ever been to Colorado? No. Is it nice? It's very nice. It's probably nice. It's very nice. And granted... Everybody would have to fly out for that rather than, you know, just David. And those and, guys have babies now. Yeah. See, boo. <laughs> complicates life. We could just go. <laughs> John and I can pick up. Well, I have a baby. We, he's got fur and four legs. <laughs> oh, he's going to babysit Jonesy. You know who's been the MVP? My sister, Elizabeth. Yeah, we'll just drop Jonesy off. Oh, she comes up here. Or she, that. She loves having her own place. Yeah. So she, like, recently she stayed here for three days, just hung out with. My main man. There you go, Jobo. Bojo Bobo. That's what. That's all we need. That'd be a good episode. It would be. How many episodes do you have? This is twenty nine. 
So it's got to be like your 50th episode, something, right. something numerically. What I actually thought about was doing it for like the literal like one year anniversary. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this since January 3rd, I think was when the first one came out. Okay. So maybe next January. Yeah. That gives time to plan. That does. Shout out to, to the Wolfpack. <laughs> I haven't talked about you guys since episode five. It's been a while. Plan for January. Just FYI. Alex, Jerry, David. Just get that on the calendar. January sometime, 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever smelled your microphone? I did not think that's what you were going to ask me. Have you ever smelled my... Oh, you're recording. Yeah, I'm recording now. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you just get up on these things. You just get in there. You know what it smells like? A little bit like a mouthpiece. I tell that to my kids all the time. I say... Your mouthpiece smells like a fish tank. You got to wash it. Oh, God. That's so gross. Because they'll wait. They I know. will wait. It's weird. Kids are like grown people. They don't mind their own stink. God. Yeah, yeah it's weird. That is for real. I guess everybody likes weird. their own brand. Yeah, everybody. So these kids will wait till their mouthpiece to just like, <laughs> just be the just devil's gooch meat. And, oh, God. Hey, man. You need to wash this. Do you clean your mouthpieces in soap and water? Is that how you do it? Yeah, just regular okay. water. It's so easy. Why don't kids do that? <laughs> Most of the time, you don't even need to use uh, soap. You just run water through it and kind just of brush so- it out. Yeah. Especially if it's like metal mouthpieces. Oh, God. It'll clean super fast. They just don't do it. Yep. Yeah. Do you? F- this is a weird question to ask on this podcast, but do you find that bacteria grows more in plastic? Yeah. Ugh. It's because it's like the rubber's porous. Porous, yeah. Oh, here's, I guess it's rubber. Yeah. Here's something gnarly. I'll tell this to all the kids. <laughs> Sometimes the kids, the mouthpieces will get so dirty that they'll actually like the the tartar oh. will get on the inside of the mouthpiece and calcify like yeah. it does in your teeth. Yep. So you actually have to go into the mouthpiece with like sandpaper oh. or, or like a file to literally file like the calcified material off the inside of the mouthpiece food chunks right because it will not yeah. come off with soap and water oh my god so you have to literally go in with actual <laughs> dentist tools i mean if you want you're right if you want the mouthpiece to be refurbished yeah some of them are so far gone that you actually have to go in with like files and dentist tools to pick the calcified whatever it's on there <laughs> and sand it back down to raw rubber that is so gross oh yeah dude they they, they get into some shit okay so kids you gotta wash your mouthpiece, kids. Wash those fucking mouthpieces. PSA: God. It makes you sound better, and right? it's not gross. God, do you? Yeah, do you not want it to smell like a fish tank? Mm-hmm. That's horrifying. Oh my god. Um. So one of the recent episodes that I did was on, um, a little bit of like Jungian personality theory. Who? Carl Jung. Who's that? Oh, shit, I'm surprised you don't know who that is. I don't know. You know who Freud is, right? Yeah. So he was kind of like the antithesis to Freud. Okay. A lot of psychologists kind of fall into one camp or the other. Yeah. Or historically did. I don't know if they still okay. if they still do that. But um, his personality theory had, had a lot to do with like the introversion and extroversion thing. Ah. Yeah. Okay. And that's something you and I have talked about. Like just our personalities vibed in a lot of ways. It yes. meant that living together for five years was relatively straightforward. There was very few conflicts that couldn't be handled, you yes. know, relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, did as an introvert, right? Yes. Same. Did you find yourself 
um, in a good spot during the pandemic as far as the social distancing and the lack of interaction, the working remotely. Did, did you find yourself able to thrive in that environment? I think it was fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, excluding the fact that you like to perform music with other people. We yeah. know that couldn't happen. Um, yeah. I guess this tracks with me personally, but mm. it seemed like it was just par for the course. Like, it it wasn't a good thing and it wasn't a bad thing. It okay. It was just like, okay, this is just how life is now. Mm-hmm. I guess I will say that because I had more time and more alone time, I started putting kind of goofier stuff on Instagram and Facebook. That's true. I just kind of just was like, well, it's there. And sometimes I get a kick out of like people's reactions or whatever. Yeah. So I had more like weight training videos on Instagram and things like that. Videos of Jonesy. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff <laughs> with Jonesy. Um, Cause sometimes I would get a kick out, you know, it was like, Oh, this person liked it or whatever. And um, just real quick side note on Jonesy. This is classic Jonesy and Jonathan. Jonesy's sitting right next to John, like a perfect portrait. Just my boy. Yep. Yeah. Just chilling. Best mm-hmm. friends. Yep. <laughs> but it didn't seem like anything that was necessarily inherently bad or good. I will say the, the thing that was hardest for me was that I was missing just being in music with the kids. Yeah. Like conducting the kids, teaching the kids. That was pretty tough. So I would imagine that has something to do let me backtrack in my perception of how things went on your side there was a time in your life previously when you would have relished all the alone time to just practice and compose and do all the things that you like to do yeah and it seems to me that it's tied with that shift in perception of you know if i'm going to teach these kids and be successful at that and and have them be successful I need to care about more than just the sound coming out of the horn. Yeah. I remember there was an Instagram post that you put, I want to say it was a year into remote schooling. Yeah, it was pretty sad. Yeah, it made me sad. Yeah. It bummed me the fuck out. Because I miss those kids. Yeah. Miss making that music. and um, Can't get that by yourself. No. And it was one of those things that if I wasn't teaching, it wouldn't be a big deal to me. Right. Because I can <laughs> I can always recede from performing life. Sure. I, I feel like I've always been one of those people, which is why I, I, I do think that apart from me, for other reasons, not being necessarily successful as a pro, full like pro musician or whatever, mm-hmm. I never got the same kick out of like playing for people. In terms of like, I like playing for people. Yeah. But if I had to choose between playing a gig and just staying at home and like practicing, yep. A lot of the time, I would opt for the just staying at home and practicing. I remember, <laughs> and that is why I education worked out for me because of salary, health insurance, blah blah blah. Right, all the logistical all reasons. all the logistical reasons. But in in terms of performing, it never was a huge drive for me to like be in front of people playing. Sure, I think, and I. The weird thing is I didn't realize it until later. Uh, earlier in my career, I think that I thought that, like, oh, I have to perform and I got to be world famous and all yeah. this stuff. But later on, I started to realize, like, man, I don't even, like, like being on stage is, like, cool, but, like, it's not going to end the world if I'm not there. That didn't fill your cup. Yeah, I just, like, sitting and practicing or whatever. 
But when I got into teaching, hmm. being with the kids and working with the kids and running band programs, that became like I actually kind of want and need to be doing that. Yeah. So when I didn't have that, that's where it became a little bit tough. And that's where I started to realize because I never missed gigging. Yeah. I missed being with those kids and like doing band stuff. Was the onset of of the pandemic when you realized that or had you started feeling that way prior? I don't think I knew that until the pandemic. Gotcha. Really. Maybe yeah. I had an idea of it, but I didn't know it as explicitly and yeah. as viscerally as until I was away from those kids for that amount of time. And I was like, damn, like I actually liked doing that a lot. Like, bro, this is hella not chill. Yeah, this <laughs> is not... <laughs> he knows power, he's power sitting he Jones, knows when you're sad jonesy knows some shit is going down right now <laughs> i didn't realize how much i really liked doing that until i was not doing it yeah and i realized that it was that in relation to gigging because i don't gig a whole lot right but when covid hit and we couldn't gig yep it wasn't like a oh no for me yeah you didn't make a like, yeah Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's he's got his ears pinned back. He's got his paw in my hand. You know what's crazy? He can't there's there's like no physical signs that you're talking about something that means means that much to you. He just knows. He just knows. Yeah. <laughs> look, at, <laughs> look at him. That's so crazy. He's nestling his head in my hand. Yeah. He's yawning. He's stretched out. Oh John. He's all right. John's okay. <laughs> I said John, not your name. <laughs> Me? Oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm always fine. That reminds me of, of when uh, that pregnant lady came over to the house, and he just was like, you're my best friend now. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell something's weird. You're my best friend. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in summation, when gigs disappeared, I I wasn't really missing a whole lot. Yeah. When like teaching the kids disappeared, I started to feel that a lot more than I thought I would. Right. It yeah. surprised me too. Yeah. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, God, that was like literally one of the questions I had was big struggles from that time period. That was pretty clearly one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you find yourself able to cope just in terms of like your own self? Did you notice anything not related to your passion, your career that? covid kind of highlighted because one of the things i've said before is like that was a great microscope on all of our society's bullshit like you want to know what's wrong with our culture let's go into a pandemic for two years yeah do you find anything about yourself that you otherwise wouldn't have necessarily known or been able to look at not that i can currently sense sure who knows maybe later i'll figure something out sure um yeah, you don't have to have have a thing. I got into powerlifting more. Yeah. I don't know. Like just uh I felt like I was okay like just if you look at the context of being in a global pandemic. Yeah. Just that I was okay with. It he was just chilling. Yeah, it didn't change a lot for my job. Like I've sp- spoken before about, you know, the industry that I'm in meant that I had to keep going to work. You know, all we did was change policies at work to hopefully make things more safe. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, they didn't really. (laughs) 
but yeah, I wasn't impacted financially. I count myself very fortunate that I was able to, you know, live life as I pretty much had been Mm -hmm. just minus a lot of face-to-face contact. Um, but I have talked about also, uh, I don't think it had anything to do necessarily with COVID, but it probably didn't help the matter was that that was when I started developing a fucking anxiety disorder, started having panic attacks for the first time in my life out of nowhere. Do you think that COVID brought about those events mm. or do you think those events had already been happening and you just realized that they were a part of what was happening to you because of COVID? I think COVID not only allowed me to see them better, but it also exacerbated them. Yeah. You know, there's an idea that, God, what is it called? There's a book. I think it's called The Body Keeps the Score mm-hmm. where uh, emotional stress, mental stress, trauma, all sorts of things that happen to you in your life take an effect on the body over time, yeah. whether you realize it or not. And I think after almost a year of being in a pandemic, a lot of things were exacerbated by that and caught up. Yeah. So... <laughs> Not saying it caused any of them, but I don't know if you remember when, like when I went to the ER. Yeah. I think that was in, in February. Like I had, it, it literally seemed to come out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden I'm I'm like feeling like I'm dying. Yeah. So other than that though, <laughs> yeah, other than that, that major <laughs> medical issue, I think most things were some stuff that I was able to adapt to. I, I thrive in... Um, an environment in which I can be alone. Yeah. <laughs> Living alone has not been hard for me. No. Yeah. I think it's pretty been straightforward. And I think for myself during COVID, in terms of my lifestyle, my lifestyle was mm. so like regimented and mm-hmm. maybe call it boring. Chicken and rice, baby. That between COVID happening and not happening, not a whole lot has changed. Yep. I just get up in the morning, you just eat your meal. Do your routine. Go to the gym, mm-hmm. do some homework, practice a little bit, have another meal, do some cardio, watch a movie, go to sleep. That whether COVID's happening or is not happening mm-hmm. doesn't affect any of that schedule yep. at all. Yep. So for me, apart from not going to the actual gym, which luckily we had right. a home gym, which was a lifesaver for me, right? Because otherwise, I don't know what I would have done. Um, <laughs> a lot of calisthenics. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I now keep an emergency set of weights in my apartment just just in case for some reason, like monkeypox is the new goal. Did you get some more? Or did you just? It's all the, the stuff that ones. we. Okay. But I have like uh, dumbbells and stuff like that. Yeah. But COVID didn't really change any part of that schedule. Yeah. Except for instead of going to the actual physical offsite gym, I just went down to the garage. Mm-hmm. So. In regard to that, it didn't really affect me at all. It's just like, okay, well, this is just whatever. Like, I never, I, I wasn't really going out in the first place. Right. And uh, so f- for me, it wasn't that big of a change. And it, even, even the times that you were going out, a lot of the people that you were hanging out with also happened to be like ones you could still hang out with. Yeah, it was Jonesy. Me? <laughs> Why am I second? <laughs> I want to be first. It's Jobo. Yeah, I know it was. Me and Jobo hanging out on the couch all those months together. He, he's a pretty solid companion. He's nice. So soft. Sometimes he needs to go to the bathroom and it's kind of annoying, but it's not his fault. 
Nope. <laughs> it's not his fault. It's not... just that's what he needs to do to communicate. Right. So Sometimes he's got to knock down your door. Sometimes he's got to jump on your back and yell at your face. He'll yell it right in the back of your head. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about you here. Let me give you a pet. Pet, pet, pet. He's a good boy. Oh, here he goes. Oh, oh, back, 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 there you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, 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 no. oh, oh, lay down, lay down. There you go. All right. Man, what a good boy. I shouldn't have talked directly at him. He knew I was talking to him. <laughs> um, let's see. One of the games that that you and I have played over the years is like, not necessarily just the would you rather, but like all sorts of those types of games. Like just absurd scenarios. Like, what if everything was clear? You remember that one? Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> what if the whole world was transparent? That's how we almost got like beat up by David and Kayla. Yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> that was a good day. We're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> um, how many people do you think would attend your funeral? That's my question to ask. Yes. You want to ask me? Hmm. You want to ask me instead? You know, you you want to know my answer? Yeah, I do. Let me think about that. Okay. Like realistically, how many people are going to come to John's funeral? Realistically? Yeah. My immediate family. Like if I died right now. Yep. Immediate family. Okay. Mom and dad, brother, mm-hmm. probably Ramel. Mm-hmm. It has to be Ramel. I shouldn't say probably. That's me. No, she would definitely she be would there. She would definitely come. <laughs> uh, you know, some of maybe some of the relatives. The question that I have for myself yeah. is if I just said, if my family was like, hey, it's like an open whatever, just show up. Yeah. I bet there might be a couple of the older kids and or like maybe more than a couple of them yeah, or none. I don't know. The thing is, but because of that age group, I'm sure they'd be sad. Yeah. But they wouldn't go because be like, that's weird. Sure. I don't, I don't want to see a dead body. I don't want to see dead J.U. in yeah. a box. Right. Yeah. You know, send a card or whatever. I just so, had a similar conversation with my mom, actually. You're small. You know, yeah. Did you know my mom had COVID? Yes. Yeah. My bo- parents had COVID too. I know. Jones, you have COVID? All those boomers getting COVID. Oh, yeah. Wear your masks. <laughs> out there and coughing on each other. Kissing each other on the mouth. I know. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, uh, my my mom actually went to the hospital. Yeah. And I think I knew about that. Yeah. So she and I had a long conversation yesterday. Actually, we, do, we were just catching up. We are talking about you know, the idea of when you die, there is this, you know, kind of cultural obsession with the need to like say the last goodbyes, see the person one last time, you know, put the body in the ground, in the casket with the, with the comforter and the pillow and everything. And she and I are both on the same page. Like, you know, she was thinking while she was in the hospital, I don't want to be that, that person that, you know, the nurse has to come in with the, with the iPad and I FaceTime my kids for the last time. Yeah. Like I would rather just have the memory, the positive memories that we have be how they remember me. I'm on board with that a hundred percent. Like, and I told her like, when I die, you know, whoever's going to be there can just throw me in the dumpster outside Safeway. You could be there. They might not be there. Whoever's there. I guess it's like if I would, I would see it like this. If people want to come, Say bye. Sure. Great. I'm not going to obligate anybody to come. Yeah. And if I die alone, 
Yeah, there's worse ways to go. Yeah. It, it's, it's, if they want to say goodbye, I would appreciate it. Fine. Sure. But like anything else in life, what is, what, what is, will be. Yeah. And uh, I think especially at something like the moment of death, that is the last place you want to be trying to no shit. Set things up which we which you have no control over. <laughs> right. Of all things, the greatest thing we have the least control over is death itself, right? right? So in that moment in that fundamental just cathartic moment in which you, you, the the universe expresses itself <laughs> in its power over you as an individual in which you have no control over anything right the last thing you want to be doing is concerning yourself with things you have no control over right so if and they, why not live your life in a way in which your loved ones don't feel like they need to be there to tell you one last goodbye yeah if they want to come i'd appreciate it i love that you know, we'll say bye. That's but we're not going to say anything we haven't already said. Yeah, but we're not going to, you know. It's not going to change anything. Look at Jobo. He's back. Oh, I know. Yeah. He's like, you guys talking about death? <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. This is scary. It's a nice day today. <laughs> Why don't we just go outside and sit in the sun? You guys want another beer? <laughs> I can go upstairs. God, he's go. so attentive. That's I've described him as having... Like, his, his level of intelligence and emotional intelligence is on par with, like a six-year-old yeah like jonesy could be a six-year-old human he knows yep. he knows when sh- sh- shit's going down yep he knows even if the the way in which you and i are talking doesn't convey any distress yeah he still knows he just knows Yep. he can smell it mm-hmm. he's like i can smell your stink mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you question know question number where are we at i don't know what question are we on I don't know, like question eight. Wouldn't it be funny if we weren't recording this whole time? Ah, <laughs> some good stuff was was would have been lost to the universe. I know. I've had that happen exactly once, and fortunately, it wasn't during an interview. It was a, a solo episode. Um, I'm gonna pause right there. Oh no, wait! I have one more question. Okay. Uh, in the same vein, how many people do you think would show up to Jonesy's funeral? Now that is a weird question because how many people know about Jonesy? And the only reason I bring that up is because mm. it's not like Jonesy necessarily has look Jonesy 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 Jonesy. <laughs> he he doesn't necessarily our dream of the Jonesy Instagram and the Jonesy network mm-hmm. never came to fruition. So it'd be like our immediate family. So maybe I should make that happen. Yeah, what do you like? If Jonesy got like knighted, yeah. then yeah, it'd probably be like hella people. But right now, I don't know you and me. That's it. <laughs> invite Jerry up, begrudgingly. <laughs> you and me. It'd be you and me, Alex. Farley. Farley. Farley would go. Farley'd be so sad. Audrey would be there for sure. Because yeah, and Farley, because Farley'd be like, it was supposed to be me. I know. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to be me, God. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? He's like twenty-three. Yeah. <laughs> Methuselah. God. Yeah. So he he would be super sad. Man, that would be a bummer. That's all right, buddy. You're not gonna die. I have a machine in Jones, the garage. You, you're never gonna die, Jonesy. We we just have to we have to, have to go get the, the parts to fix the machine. You 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 though you. You just have to get tomorrow <laughs> during work. Dead mom. <laughs> uh, okay. Let me let me think here. I need a segue. 
You know, I describe you to people like that. Like, John does things in extremes. There's Mm -hmm. no such thing as, like, maybe dabbling half-ass. Like, maybe video games. That might be the one example. Yeah. Everything else John does is, like, he's either going to be the best at it or he's going to commit suicide. (laughs) Which is crazy. (laughs) I know. Right? It is and it isn't because you're not the only person that I know that's like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, why can't people just be like, just learn how to like enjoy enjoy stuff? I don't know. I'm talking to myself. I know. Like, why can't people just learn how to enjoy stuff and just be like, be okay with being okay? Yeah, like you don't have to be yeah, the best. Got to be like, come out here and just like, just just destroy themselves to do something. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. You know, perfectionism is one of those things that I haven't really touched on yet, but it's an idea that I've read about and spoken about to other people plenty of times like where does this where does this tendency to uh you know err on the side of perfection come from some people think it's from like like it's a defense mechanism like born out of shame you know i think it's um uh it's an american thing sure yeah american capitalism competitiveness mm-hmm. where did the internet come from who was the first people to go to space who are the first people to have a trillion dollar company who invented the automobile who invented the airplane now for all the good things that came out of that yeah there are certain results as a type of that as a result of that type of mindset that also are potentially problematic right hyper competitiveness the idea right. that the product is more important than the person. You know, it's very interesting, though, is what we were talking about earlier, where you don't want to be destroying yourself for that kid. Yeah. You know, that would be considered, I think, a form of perfectionism. Like, I have to make sure this yes. kid is okay. Yeah. But you were able to move through that. Yeah. That's interesting. There's a certain element that... uh for what it's worth any any yeah there you go yep yeah cheers any, buddy <laughs> yeah anything that you come across in terms of things that you believe in things that you ascribe to or abide by whether that would be a philosophy or religion yeah always has to be looked at from the perspective of uh inquiry be be curious and be critical about the things that you're thinking about, the things that you're oh, learning yeah. about, the things that you believe in. Absolutely. Because something like Amazon or Apple has, has made a lot of good in the world, but has also made a lot of problems. Walmart has done a lot of good in the world, yeah. but has created just as many problems. Yeah. And everything that has had an impact of that magnitude, things that are of a global or societal impact mm-hmm. will always have two sides. So I you, think. you think that, do you think that tendency towards perfectionism is similar in that? Yes, it can result in oh, yes. doing great things, but it also restricts well, in a lot of ways. Look at Michael Phelps. Yeah. Of all the achievements that he, uh, he achieved throughout his life, the dude like almost wrecked himself mentally. Did he? Yeah, I don't know much about the guy himself. With the with the like the he is is it is exactly as you thought it was. He 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 talks about like after he won all those golds and re- basically retired, 
he didn't know how to be a normal person because mm -hmm. everything in his life revolved around being the best swimmer on the planet. Mm -hmm. So then when you look at that scenario, you go, okay, he got 13 or whatever. I think it was 13 gold medals. Yeah. But then when he retired, he really had to go through a transformative phase where he had to reteach himself how to be human. Sure. Okay, well, what's good about that and what's bad about that? Is it worth it? Some people would say yes. Some people would say no. For anything. Sure. Is it worth Is it worth being Steve Jobs and working your entire life and sacrificing your entire life mm -hmm. to being the leader of this world-transforming company only to figure out, you know, on your deathbed that, like, hey, man, like, yeah, billions of dollars really doesn't do it for me. Like, right. I'm not so happy. Right. I'm not really as happy as I thought I was going to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, then what is the goal of a person's life? <laughs> right. If you can be worth $100 billion and still regret it at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, I think on the surface, that's a pretty easy answer. But sure. people really looked at that. It's a lot harder to answer than people would give it credit for. No, it is. The the, the idea of where your self-worth is derived from right. is something that almost everybody struggles with at some yeah. point in their life. If you haven't struggled with it, man, good for you. Like, whoever those people are, I'd love to know. Yeah. Um, and, and for some people, that, that, that means they, like, in his case, you'd build a multi-trillion dollar company. I don't know if it was trillions. Well, look, in terms of this idea of self-worth, um, if a teacher were to value their self-worth in terms of the success of their students, they mm -hmm. would destroy themselves. Yeah. If a teacher formulated their, their idea of their self-worth by their salary, they would destroy themselves. Yeah. If a teacher valued their self-worth by their ability to affect student lives, they might destroy themselves. So it becomes a question of what do you believe is human purpose? And from that, by extension, what do you believe is your purpose in sure. terms of making some sense of meaning of the reason that you're even alive. Right. That is the great philosophical question, right? <laughs> yes. Why is anybody sticking around to do anything and put effort into anything? Right. And I think the heart of that question is, as everybody knows, it's what you decide it to be. Yeah. Now the great dilemma of life is, what did you decide that it was going to be? Was it money? Was it success? Was it power? Mm -hmm. Was it connection? Was it self-fulfillment? Was it exploration? There is nothing inherently wrong with any of those things individually. If you decide for yourself. You have to decide for yourself, and you yeah. have to be okay with the decision that you made when you are close to death. <laughs> if it was about being a billionaire and you became $300 billion or whatever, fine. Okay, Every one of these pathways has benefits and potential problems with it. Sure. But if you were sure in your decision, then so be it. What I seem to observe, though, is that at least with externalized motivations in terms of self-worth, yeah. performance, recognition, money, power, money, 
those people don't necessarily seem to be as satisfied despite thinking that that's what they wanted in the first place. I would agree with you and think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they didn't actually decide for themselves. That's what they were told. You know, I think our society in general tells us that those things are what make you worth a shit. Capitalism. That's a big part of it. (laughs) Participate in the machine that Mm -hmm. you didn't have any hand in creating. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And you're not, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, the pursuit of building this, like for the example of Steve Jobs, the pursuit of building this massive company isn't inherently unfulfilling. It isn't inherently wrong per se, but did he do that because he looked within himself and explored and actually thought about it and was like, that's what would make me the happiest. Right. You know, how many people end up doing that? And even beyond the idea of happiness, what makes you, I don't know, find purpose in life. And even beyond finding purpose, what gives you a reason to not just terminate your own life on a whim because there's no purpose to it? Right. It's the nihilism all, aspect. It is all what you decide it to be. Mm-hmm. And however far a person gets along that path is a different journey for every person. And people are maybe apprehensive to look at that. I think that's a big part of it. Those vices exist. Yeah. If you don't want to look at what truly makes you happy in this world, or even beyond the idea of happiness in terms of, I know you'd call it fulfillment or purpose. Yeah, those are good enough words. Yeah. Something that gives you a reason to stick around. Yep. Then what you are forced into is the backup or the mask of, well, it's money, it's power, it's recognition. Distraction. It's a distraction. Yeah. And people are conditioning themselves, but society is also conditioning people into this charade Mm -hmm. that those are the things that create your self-worth. This is what matters. And that is the dissonance that we experience. Yeah. People are so unhappy. People are so successful and still so unhappy. Yep. Because sometimes at the end of the day, you know, some of the happiest people in the world, it's like the person working in the soup kitchen. Yep person working at the uh, i don't know your volunteer at your local whatever yeah planting bushes on the side of the road or yeah anything that's if you view through the lens of of our society it would tell you this is lesser this yeah. is worthless and not necessarily that we should flip society around but we should examine people are making millions of dollars a year. Like, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. You know, is that, is that the real end game that you're setting for yourself? Is that the real end game that society is setting for yourself? And then we have to ask our questions, much larger questions of gosh, should we have billionaires in the world? (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. That is a very good question. Yeah. Cause if I had a hundred billion dollars, would I want to get rid of Would I want to give it up. I don't know. It's a good question. (laughs) You would never know until you actually had $100 billion. Yep. I don't think, because I think the the automatic tendency is to be like, well, of course, I'm a good person. 
if I was if I was in Elon Musk position, of course I'd give all that money away. You don't know that until you log into your Bank of America and say it has a hundred billion dollars in that account. When you see that number, then you tell me what you're actually going to do. Nobody and, knows what they're actually going to do until they're in that situation. And we already have data. The trend suggests the answer is no. Yeah. Who is doing that next to nobody? Yeah. Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. Mm -hmm. That's a good example of somebody who is doing that. Bill Gates says. True. Uh, Warren Buffett says. We'll see. Right. But at the end of the day, that's all a symptom of, right? A larger sim uh, a larger system yeah. that is trying to tell us what is important in this world. And you can keep zooming out. <laughs> well, this weird philosophical stuff. It's, it's like you can keep zooming out. Because if you zoom out even farther from that, you realize that the entire global economy is working off of money and commerce and if you didn't have these billion dollar companies would we have 5g would we have been able to go to space we don't know right because if you weren't driven by those types of extrinsic motivators or that system right. of fulfillment or that system of recognition financial recognition and success would we even be motivated as a species to go to to try to go to Mars? It's a great question. Who knows? Then the larger, even larger question is: Does that mean that as humanity we need those types of things? Which then begs an even larger question: Is if we in fact do knows need those things, what does that say about us as a species that yeah. we need the concept of money to be even functional? Right. The okay. transactional nature of human relationships. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Amateur you know, philosopher. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> you thought I was bullshitting in the beginning. <laughs> no, it, it, it is, it's all good questions. And something that I've thought about and that I've talked about here is the nature of humanity to look through the lens of transaction mm -hmm. like there needs to be a a balancing of the equation for anything to happen i think maybe it, at our deepest sense of consciousness or our collective sense of consciousness maybe our desire for balance is what drives all that who knows yeah we need the reassurance that for an action any action there is an equal and opposite reaction right and as Maybe as a species, we can't handle the concept of because something happens, that doesn't necessarily mean something opposite will automatically happen. Right. Which is why we can't not have money. Right. And, you know, that sounds to me like the whole concept of of like right and wrong. Yeah. Like people who do wrong by nature of the equation should be punished. They right. should be punished. We... People who do right should yeah. be rewarded uh, the, I, the concept of law and order the concept right. of religion is all based upon this idea that we need the equal and opposite reaction right i did action. x yeah. therefore i get y yeah whatever whatever that means it's very interesting yep <laughs> i think a lot of what we've talked about on this podcast in general has to do with letting that go or trying to 
Yeah, and that, so there's, there's certain religions like Hinduism and Buddhism that talk about that in terms yeah. of letting go of that construct of um, reactionism. Yeah. The idea that under all of that, there is this plane that exists. Maybe that's kind of how I tie it to music. I was it, thinking the same thing. In Hinduism, in the Bhagavad Gita is one of those books. There, there is this idea of um, a, 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 a realm, hmm. an existence of a realm that exists that is unchanging, truly unchanging hmm. by anything. And um, in, in, I don't know. Let's get into it. You watch Ancient Aliens, right? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Nobody who listens to this watches that. <laughs> well, let me about to tell you. I'm about to, I'm about to blow my entire reputation here. <laughs> Do you guys like American pickers? Yeah. Uh, in physics, there's this kind, of, this kind of the idea of like zero point energy field. Like there's mm. the, the, the the fundamental concept that all matter actually can be destroyed. The thing that truly cannot be destroyed is information. You ever heard of that theory? I have. I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah, so good in, to know. in sci-fi, they kind of call it like the zero-point field or whatever. It's just like it's this concept that um, protons and neutrons and whatever else in the universe, mm-hmm. matter, antimatter, that mm-hmm. can actually be destroyed and transferred to other forms of energy and matter. But below that is another layer of something mm-hmm. that is just the information of those particular things, and that information field can never be destroyed or transferred. Is that called the Nuosphere? It might be. That might be another does that, name for it. Does that ring? Okay. But in, in Hinduism, they talk about that, you know, the Akashic record and things like that. Which yes. Are all things that, we're talking about the same they thing. They talk about all this stuff yep. on Ancient Aliens and all that stuff. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I got a boner. There, there's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a lot of uh, hype and, and, and misconceptions about that. But at the base of it all, it's the idea that underneath all of reality, there's still this kind of this web. Yep. Of things that exist that are unchanging. Yes. And that all the layers of reality above that base layer are pulling from that layer. And therefore, once they're out of that layer, in upper layers of reality, they then can change and shift and mm-hmm. create all the reality and existence that we observe, blah, 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 blah. Um, at the heart of that, though, is that our concept of cause and effect. Mm. And reaction and reaction and the equality and the balance of action and reaction to attempt to draw away of that, like what they say in Buddhism or in Hinduism or a lot of these Eastern philosophies and religions, is to remove yourself from those chaotic upper dimensions and try right. to return back to that formation of everything is in itself one. You know, it's an entire, the entire thing is a singularity. This is crazy trippy. Well, yeah. But the idea that on a human level of practical experience, the concept that like, I think Captain Picard nailed it. Yeah. You might do everything right and it still is going to go wrong. Yeah. Can that's you, not failure. That's can, life. Can you be okay with that? Yeah. That I think on a practical level is the true thing that, for now, in our state as we are right now, mm-hmm. maybe is the thing that we should at least question and, and try to come to terms with. Not everything that you do has to have some kind of equivalent reaction, has to have some kind of result. Right. 
because those results are what are destroying us. Those results are what is driving us apart. Right. The value of your action is intrinsic to the action itself. The action is you. Yeah. And the idea that you doing everything you need to do can be separated from the results of your action. Right. In terms of if it goes good, that doesn't necessarily make you a good person. Right. If it goes <laughs> bad, that might make you a bad person, but not necessarily. Not necessarily, and yeah. every dynamic that exists between those many points, that once you set into motion that your choices and actions, the results are divorced from those choices mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Now, kids will take that and say like, well, that means I can't be held accountable for any of my actions. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but in terms of this issue of our, like this issue of our larger society in terms of like people burning out in their jobs or whatever, the, the question of billionaires, it's the idea of what do we value as a part of our own existence? And part of that question is, do I value the results of my actions mm -hmm. and do those actions define me as a human being? And there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer to that. You may identify with those actions to define you. You may not. Depending on what side of that you fall, will that destroy you? Who knows? And that is the tr that is the true stance of any any philosophers that we don't take any stance. <laughs> you just put all these crazy questions out there and leave everybody to just blow their brains out over it. Well, and that's part of the thing that we're talking about. You know, that question itself is: Does there need to be an answer? And I think the answer is no. There doesn't need to be an answer. Not it's, necessarily. It's the act of even considering it that matters. And I think what makes us truly human is yeah. the ability to make that distinction and make that decision. Hmm. Yeah. Consciousness. It's consciousness. Something. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, the value of one's actions and self-worth. And you see a lot, I would argue, the majority of people fall into the camp of you know the external reaction to me being is what makes me who i am mm -hmm. rather than i have an intrinsic worth or right. some sort of you know inherent value mm -hmm. and then when you're tied to the reaction to you existing whatever the reaction is is going to define your perception of yourself right and it, it complicates things when you are in a society with other individuals yeah <laughs> and i think that is another major speed bump at least in the kind of the, your philosophy of consciousness self-worth and self-identity is that if you have to do this great journey of self-identity but you also have to account for that you're trying to exist with 10 other, 100, 100 right. million other, a billion other people, your actions and your decisions are going to affect the world around you and affect those people, which will, inf which will in turn create some type of reaction that goes back towards you. Mm -hmm. So then you 
run into this issue of, well, it's not just my consciousness, it's now the consciousness and the identity of the other people in this room. And that presents a whole other set of challenges in terms of what do I want? How do I perceive myself worth? But then how does this group perceive its self-worth? Yeah. Those, the dissonances between the self and the group are, the, I think, the basis of a lot of issues that you see sure. with, in a lot of layers of society. I don't think we've figured out how to mix what I want with what the, everybody else in this group wants. No, I don't think so. No, it's that, you know that, uh, there's an episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> where unity comes along and like yes brainwashes the whole planet to be this and the planet becomes super super successful right with the lack of identity because or individual there's, only, identity. there's only one individual on that planet yeah oh, well that paints a fairly interesting scenario for the problems that you exist when you have a society right if you had a society with only one individual it'd probably be fine yep but you don't have that yeah, at what point do we value our self-identity more than the greater good? Versus the identity of a society. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you willing or able to ascribe or buy into the identity of a society? And what identity does this society have? Because America's a society. Sure. Right? The world is society. Sure. But like the Nazis were a society. Yeah. Cults. What's, what society Religions? are you willing to be a part of and as are you willing to participate in as your consciousness is a part of this larger societal consciousness? Right. And I think in America, one of our big struggles right now is that we no longer have an American consciousness. No, we there's have, no consensus. We have, you've got the lefts and the rights and the Trumps and the not Trumps. Independent. And the independents. The and you've non-political got, or apolitical. The, there's the non-party affiliated. Yeah, there's the pro-lifers and the pro-choicers. And um, we don't have to get into what of, which one of those is right and wrong. No. The main point that we want to make is that America no longer has a collective consciousness that is unified. Now, sure. it might have never had one because in the 40s and 50s, it had one on the face. For face value, America right. was like, we're going to go to space. Right. Because... <laughs> we're going to fight in this just world war. Right, because yeah. you were able to tamp down and you were yeah. able to stifle all of those opposing voices and all of those minority views, mm -hmm. all of those marginalized views. Now that those marginalized views have a platform, a platform and an ability to make an impact in the larger conversation, now we really know that it maybe we never had a collective <laughs> right. voice. It's just that all of these other altern all right. the alternative voices are what are, are coming to the scene and creating all uh, all of the distances that we see. Right. I guess the question would be is is it right that we even have the view that there should be a dominant voice in this country you or know, are we <laughs> able to move forward and find something a voice that works for everyone in this country? I think that's a great a great question because the if anybody I, and I bring this up a lot when somebody says to me oh you know I want to go back to a simpler time or you know, I think I would really do well in like, you know, the early 1900s. And I'm like, the face that you're talking about, John, of the 40s, 50s and 60s was a big white man's face. Yeah. 
And maybe that's how we present it as a nation because of what you said, those marginalized voices not having a platform and not having a say. And I think that gets, you know, confused with, oh, we were, there was more uh, harmony and, and discourse and it was just a better time when in reality it was just a quieter time because you only had one person talking. I think, th- yeah, the, the key to that I think is a great way to put it is it was a quieter time. Yeah. Because the voices that needed to speak didn't have the ability to. Right. Now, all of those voices are speaking up and they're very loud. So we have to decide now as a country, what what are we going to do with all this? What What is the way forward mm-hmm. to, to, to bring everybody back together? And that is so, <laughs> so difficult. Yeah, I don't think anyone Why has an answer I right now. I don't want to be president. Well, no you know, of doing any of that. the greatest, God, I, I wish I could remember where I heard this, but the greatest idea on who should be president was the idea that the person who wants to be president the least is the most qualified to do it. Mm. <laughs> mm. Jonesy. <laughs> yeah. It's J1Z. It's J1Z. Oh, president? That's so scary. He'd do a great job. Do you know what? We would all be like... I think locked in to a national identity of everything should be soft and friendly. Yeah. And we should all have pizza. We should all have pizza and we should have Panda Express fortune cookies on Fridays. Fortune cookie Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and we go on walks and nobody wears clothes. Walks every morning. Yeah. Every other morning or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We all get to go outside on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. We get brushed. And we get br- cleanliness. Yeah. Hygiene. You know, the way Jonesy lives is really how a lot of us should be living. It's, yes, it's very... It's clean. It's very zen. It's very zen. Yeah. Where is he? He's probably outside because I secured the perimeter. Jonesy. Oh, nope. Here there he, he is. There he is. Heard See, you talking always, about me. Here he goes. He's President born. Bobo. That's right. <laughs> um, Let's see. We're... we're we're coming up on two hours here, so let's let's get into these last couple questions, and we'll probably wrap it up at close to the two-hour mark. Kind of something I wanted to try doing as I go forward with interviews is have a little like similar segment at the end, in which I ask a couple of the same questions over and over, just you know, as something to tie all the interviews together. So you can see if I'm consistent. So you can see if I trip up over yeah. my own feet. <laughs> yeah. Say, see if you say some BS <laughs> that precludes you from running for office in the future. <laughs> um, and just so we're all clear, I didn't get this idea of doing that this similar segment um, on my own. I actually heard another podcast in which they do this. Uh, question number one, and you can be as as brief or as long-winded as you want. There's no wrong or right answers. What's something you're afraid of? Mm. Incapacitation. Of who? Myself. Okay. Like if I got in a car crash and people had to feed me through a tube for the next 30 years, that'd be Mm. a bummer. And if I was also (laughs) conscious during that entire period, knowing that like, man, I used to be able to do all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now I have to feed myself through a tube. So Lou Gehrig's disease is like your nightmare. ALS. That'd be a pretty bummer. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like after a while, I'd be like, well, this is just how things are. Just make make best of it. But at the same time, yeah. At the outset of that, 
Sure. That, that's a pretty, that is a pretty frightening scenario because I like being able to do stuff. You remember in Million Dollar Baby? Yeah. She killed herself. Stuff or, like that. Or she asked her best friend to kill her. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you make a good point, though, with the idea that somebody can get used to anything. Yeah. You know, I think maybe we've talked about it here before. I'm not I'm not sure. I do a lot of talking. <laughs> um, humans can get used to anything, mm-hmm. given time. Yeah. You know, I, like I think I mentioned before the book uh, Night, which is a first-person account of the Holocaust from... Yeah, Eli of, Wiesel. Yes, my man. We read that in, like, Miss Brewer's class. I didn't read it. Oh well, the, how you were in that class with me? I well, that is really mature for seventh graders. <laughs> we read. I'm pretty sure we read that. I don't think we did because I read it this past year and I didn't remember any of it. We definitely read that in school. Okay, what's well, a good book? It's a good book. And he talks about that like eventually the horror just yeah. fades into the background. Yep. And that's just your life. So you know you make a, a decent point. Like if you can't move and you have 30 years to adapt and you're just in a wheel like Stephen Hawking if you're just in a wheelchair it's just yeah driving yourself around with a straw that's just how it be that's just how it be but yeah. at the same time you know i will say this i don't fear death i fear life why because of that oh i fear death in life there's so much potential for bumming yourself out mm-hmm. in death who knows i mean if death sucks i don't know it at least i don't know it yet I but you know, know life sucks? I know life can suck that's, real, real hard. That's very zen. That's what makes it scarier than death. <laughs> I actually had that conversation with my mom yesterday. We yeah. we talked about a lot. It's the dying that's scary. We don't know what happens after. Yeah. So who who am I to fear something that I have know nothing about? For, for all we know, it could be sweet. You show up and it's like it's all cotton candy and rainbows. You don't know that. <laughs> I mean, every religion will have their own idea of what that is, but we don't know. What do you think happens? Cotton candy and rainbows. I don't know. Do you have any inkling? Do I believe in reincarnation? Or anything. A little bit. Um, do I believe that nothing will happen? Possibly. Hmm. Spoken like a true philosopher. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> do I believe in some kind of conscious afterlife? Yeah. I mean, that's possible. Sure. The idea that you can transfer consciousness to a larger existence. Sure. Um, don't know. At this point, I I don't really question it. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that who knows what it'll be. That's a great thing. For the time being, we, I, exist mm-hmm. on this meat plane. So I'm going to do with it what I can. Dude, we're all just bags of meat. And uh, when that stuff comes along, I'm like, all right, well, let's see what's happening. Let's see what's what's on this next level. That's true. Level up. Yeah, thinking about it is a great philosophical exercise. Yeah. But at the end of the day, and I'm a big proponent of this, if you think about it practically, there's no point. No, it's not an entirely productive exercise sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you're religious from Christian faith, and yeah, it could be productive because the idea of using your living life to build into your afterlife, ancient Egyptians, (laughs) no, those people, (laughs) right? Hinduism, reincarnation, (laughs) maybe, but... Have you ever heard of the concept that meditation, and this is tying into the whole Buddhist thing we were talking about earlier... Meditation at its core is the coming to terms with death. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. 
I think that's one element of it. I think the idea of thinking about what happens after you die. Yeah, it doesn't serve a lot of practical purpose, but the coming to terms with the knowledge of death does. If you can live your life accepting of that knowledge, I think it changes what you do. Yeah. For sure. I think it can. Yes. Okay. Next question. Next question. What is something that you're hopeful for? I don't know. You want to hear some real practical stuff? Mm-hmm. I kind of want to doctor it. Yeah. It's real simple. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I get it. Maybe I don't. Maybe I just give up. Who knows? What What makes you want a doctorate? I already know the answer, but please tell my listeners. Yeah, you guys want to hear? I just <laughs> want it. Call me a psychopath. I have no financial... Or I don't want to teach you at university. Yeah. I don't have any personal vendetta. I just... I was like, man, it'd be cool to have. He just wants people to call him doctor. Dr. J-U. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's just... just want it. Maybe a personal achievement? Just like, oh, yeah, I got one. Yeah. That's about as far as it goes. And that will save my self-consciousness if at, at the point where maybe for some reason it falls apart, I won't feel too bad about it. Sure. I, I mean, I'd be out of a lot of money, so that would probably be pretty bummer. But it wouldn't, like, destroy me to just, like, oh, I'm not going to do this. To not have it. Right. It's just, like, I can't, I want it. Okay. I just want it. I'm going to get it. I mean, historically we look at the trend the things that you set out to do you generally end up doing yeah some some no yeah but generally you're pretty determined i got i got a pretty decent average yeah you're a bulldog so <laughs> yeah well that but that yeah okay that's something i'm possibly hopeful for bring you joy if you had one yeah it'd just be cool i imagine the process see, is what also we've been talking about today I wouldn't determine my self-worth based upon that doctorate. That uh, right. would be an error. <laughs> I believe that is correct, sir. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it'd be cool to have. Okay. But it, if I didn't get it, it's like, okay. Fair enough. Last question. Right now, just, I don't mean right this minute, but like currently in life, what is a source of... Uh, fun or joy or um, happiness for you, man. You know the answer to that. Well, tell the tell the rest of us. Man, I don't, this is, dude. I just like practicing and working out. That's it. <laughs> that's that's what it always has been, and for the time being, that's what it's always gonna be. Yeah. Just practicing, figuring out a new melody, twelve keys. You didn't say Jonesy, and that oh, makes that I makes the bad. the two of us upset. Jonesy. Feel bad. <laughs> Jonesy brings me joy. But see, the thing is, I don't see Jonesy a whole lot. Anymore. I know. So. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair, but life isn't fair. You should be able to see him every day. I know. Jonesy does bring me a, a, a great deal of joy. Most people don't know this, so I feel like I have to talk about it. For Christmas this past year, I got John a uh, portrait of Jonesy. Yeah. A stately portrait of him in his best generalissimo position it's nice <laughs> and it is proudly displayed in the main area of his apartment it's a it's a really good picture <laughs> but yeah that's my that's my bobo bobo so him 
saxophone, mm-hmm. working out. All right. That's pretty much it. Pretty simple. Yeah, we touched we touched on your amateur philosophy and the powerlifting. We didn't talk about martial arts at all, but that's okay. Martial arts and philosophy, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, they do tie together, don't yeah, they? Kids, all of you listening out there, just, just stick with that. You take everything that we talked about today and just like applied it to a Wing Chun dummy, you'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, so you need to buy a Wing Chun dummy. <laughs> yeah, also for $7.99.95, we'll need to invest in one of these implements. All right, fair enough. Lastly, not really a question, but if you have anything else that you want to get out there, anything you want to tell us about what you got going on, this is very hot ones, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, yeah. Tell us what you got going on. That camera, that camera, this. No, I'm kidding. No, any any last parting words. This is the time. And then after you're done, I'm going to do my canned outro. And All right. We'll go eat. No, nah, man. I don't know. I just want to say that in terms of like, I guess the teaching industry. Yeah. People like me, we're trying our best. I know it's really shitty, but... We're, we're honestly trying and like just just know that because sometimes i think in the teaching industry is like man these teachers low salary yeah. no motivation have an ass don't care have an ass people <laughs> like man like i yeah salary's not awesome but also like god damn it we're trying right and i'm not saying all of us are but like there's a lot of us who are trying to make this work as best as we can with the circumstances we're granted and we just want to like make some good in the world so like don't treat us too hard. <laughs> and that's an important concept yeah, that I have tried it. to push. Yeah. Everybody's out there doing their best. Yeah. And I don't mean that to say that people don't make mistakes. Yeah. We all do. You and me included. Right. But at the end of the day, life is full of good pe- or people who try to be good, who try to do good. And... It's better if we can realize that. Like, you're going to be a happier person if you can just realize yeah. that. You know? But some, you know, yeah. Sometimes it's like teaching industry gets a bad rap for, like, it's, oh, it's like, it's people who don't, can't do anything else. Or, like, they don't care. Or, like, all they care about is their salary. And that's why they're, they always go on strike. I'm like, yeah, but, like, at the same time, there's good people out there trying to do good stuff. And, and l- let's not forget that. You know, maybe they're going on strike for their salaries, but holy shit, if we're going to have them raising the next generation of people, let's pay them what they're worth. And that's that's yeah. my platform. Union. That's my platform. Pay your fucking teachers what they're worth, okay? And and come and on. Going back to square one about this entire society and existence we've built upon an externalized capitalist <laughs> mentality of product-based yep. self-worth. <laughs> You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. So, yeah, there's that. You know, I was actually going to call this episode J-Unit, but I'm actually going to call it You Get What You Pay For. (laughs) There you go. There we go. Yeah. So. All right, y'all are listening to episode 29, You Get What You Pay For. John, y'all done? I'm done. Okay. It was good. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Signing out. Signing out. All right. Everybody, that was... One of my long, long, long time friends, John, a.k.a. J.U., a.k.a. Johnny U. As always, you can catch this podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on all the major platforms, the Apples and the Googles and the Spotify's. 
and all the little ones too so just basically just google my name or your ex-boyfriend's podcast you'll find us if you have any questions concerns comments ideas or you want to be on the podcast you can email email me at your exbf podcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on instagram at your underscore exbf underscore podcast and with that i think we're going to sign off here so until next sunday you know what we didn't even talk about old business (laughs) real quick veronica the sex coach she's going to be on next sunday the 14th that's the current plan so all y'all who sent me questions for her just be reassured that she is coming we've just been having scheduling issues and on that note we'll wrap it up so until next sunday take care god bless (laughs) john say bye 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 bye